You know, we're in the third week of our series, Abraham, and we talked about God establishing a covenant with Abraham. That was the first week. And last week, we talked how Abraham stepped outside of his faith. He looked at his circumstances and trusted in more um, his own plan rather than God's. And today, as we're continuing the story of Abraham, we're going to cover two chapters, Genesis chapter 13 and Genesis chapter 14. And it's easy to get caught up in several aspects of this story today, but today I want to focus particularly on Abraham's blessing. Everyone say blessing. How many would say, Pastor, I want blessed by God? That's natural, right? We want blessed by God. Everyone's hands naturally want to shoot up and say, yeah, I am all for that. And maybe you're even sitting here today, you haven't even committed your life to Jesus Christ, and you're like, yeah, I want a blessing from God. I get how we naturally want that. But here's the thing that I want to caution you on and kind of prepare your heart for. Because of the prosperity gospel, we as Believers can have a skewed view on what God's blessing looks like and what we must do in order to be blessed. You might have a perceived notion of how you're going to be blessed by God. Maybe you want to follow some specific kind of formula in order to make that blessing happen. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to read about Abraham, and he's going to be rescuing his nephew, and we're not going to try and get too sidetracked with this story. We're only going to read it for context, and um, the end at the blessing is what we're going to particularly focus on, but if you would turn with me to Genesis 13, starting at verses 5 through 9, and we're going to be skipping around quite a bit, um, and I will do my best to help you follow me. Genesis 13, starting at verse 5. Let's read. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, then then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go left. Let's skip down to verse 14. It says, After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all this land, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that, like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. Now we're going to skip to chapter 14, verse 8. It says, Then the rebel kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela 
also called Zor, prepared for battle in the valley of the Dead Sea. So they prepared for valley, uh, uh, battle, excuse me, and they capture Lot. So let's skip down to verse 14 through 16. Said when Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Ketelormir's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Ketelormir's army uh, fled, but Abram chased them as far as Heboeth, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. Let's look at verses 17 through 20 now. After Abram returned from his victory over Ketelomers and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, and uh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priest of the Most High God, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for each and every person in this room. God, as we have read your word, and Lord, sometimes it seems so distant. God, sometimes we read passages of the Old Testament, and it might be hard for people to relate to your word. But God, I believe that if we search and understand, Lord, the message you are trying to send to us, God, that our lives can be changed. So Lord, I pray that hearts will receive this today. They'll hear and understand your word. I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. The first thing that I want to talk about today is something significant. If you look at the life of Abram and everything that he did, everywhere he went, there was something he did everywhere he went that I think we should take note of, and that was he built an altar to the Lord. Everyone say, build an altar. And what he was doing in building an altar, he is establishing God as the priority. Now, who caught the number that just with him, the trained men for battle numbered 318? Who caught that? So this is a man, you, you hear he's traveling with his family. He has many servants. He has many people underneath him. And what he is doing, it's not just for his household. It's for everyone that is traveling with him. He is establishing God as our priority. Last week we learned that Abram had lied to Pharaoh. He was humiliated in public. He returned to his land. And as an act of repentance, he built an altar to the Lord. This week we read in chapter 13, verse 18, that Abram moved his camp. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And it's easy to overlook these verses. But we need to acknowledge God is sending us a message here. It is not without coincidence that that is mentioned. When Abram moved, it was an important act that everywhere he established, this is where we are encamped, we are going to build an altar. It's an approach we don't see too much in American culture anymore. Do you know that... Men, raise your hands in this room. 
and maybe I'm a traditional guy, but I believe men, if you are a part of a household, you are in charge of your household. And I believe that you have a responsibility to your household to set God as the priority. You know, we're not seeing that in our culture anymore. We're not seeing men step up and, and truly lead their families. Let's use for an example, I've heard parents say that, you know, I, I might say, hey, where, where's, your, where's your kid today? Oh, he didn't want to come to church. So your child didn't want to come to church. So you don't make them. Now imagine for just a moment your child says, I don't want to go to school today. Are you just going to roll over, play dead, and say, okay, I'm giving up that battle. They're going to do what they want to do, pastor. If they say, I don't respect you anymore, are you going to be cool with that? Are you going to sit there and let them back talk you? Think about it this way. Proverbs 22.6 says, raise up a child in the way that they should go and they should what? They should never depart from it, right? And so we can't also likewise say, well, I'm going to drop my child off at church because that's the best thing for them and I'm going to go to the casino. Right? Let's be real. Because what has to happen in our households is we have to model what having a relationship with God looks like. And we set those priorities. And we have to demonstrate it to our children. And God being a priority in your life is demonstrated through your actions. By what you do, not just what you say. So if you and I say he is most important, others should be able to look at our lives and see evidence of that. I want to read for you Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 through 20. Jesus says, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown in the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. It is no longer good enough for you and I to be able to tell people how they should live. Show them. Show them. And where so you and I today, we don't physically build altars to the Lord anymore because Jesus Christ came as our sacrifice to solve that once and for all. But I am telling you, church, you make an altar wherever your feet take you. Wherever you choose to bow your knee, there is where your altar is. And so you might be saying, Pastor, how might I establish my altar? And I'm telling you, dedicate time in prayer in the Word. You set aside that time. You purpose it. Everyone say purpose. 
And also you choose to have a standard in your life and your household of what is acceptable and not acceptable. When you do that, that is when the favor of the Lord will follow you. Take Abram, for example. Abram is living in a foreign land. Who has spent significant time in another country, a foreign land? Okay, just, just a few, right? Who's been to Missouri? I'm sorry, that's a... Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, Don, I'm sorry. Here's Abram in a foreign land, right? Imagine this. And Don's about to do this this morning. Abram's in a foreign land and he took on an army. Right? Completely out of his natural realm. The realm he is used to. And he decides to take on these people who it is their land. It's their place. And so they have these 318 trained men assembled, ready to go. And check this out, though. This wasn't just a pick of the best from the best. They didn't have a, a huge trove of people. It wasn't like a millions of people traveling with them. He had 318 trained men. This wasn't just regular people. This was his family. This was his family. But here's the thing. They were walking under the favor of the Lord because of God's promise. So God made this problem with Abram, and that can be reinforced by verses like Genesis 13, 15, which we read, and I'm going to read again. God says, I am giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. So what God is clearly doing is he, is he has enabled Abram and his army to conquer a king who has already been victorious. They've already seized the possessions from their victory, and now the favor of the Lord was on Abram, and it was on Abram because of two reasons. The first one is, and I, I think you should write this down because this is important, God keeps his promises, God keeps his promises. He, he, does not, he does not forget them. He does not take it back. So when God makes a promise, he's going to see it through. And so God, he promises this land, and he won't let it be overrun. And here's the amazing thing. He also gives Abram the faith to be able to seize it, Right? That's significant to me. Because so many of us, we have been led by the Holy Spirit to step into faith to do something, and so many get hesitant. They neglect maybe what God is asking them to do. And here is the thing. I believe that a byproduct of our faith or operating in faith is seeing God provide all of our needs each and every step of the way. But what happens is that when we try and step out in faith, much like Abram last week as he approached Pharaoh, you 
might not see all the answers. You might not have all the pieces to the puzzle. And so you don't know exactly how this is going to work. But I am telling you that if God calls you to do something, he is going to see you through it. I want to read Philippians 4.19. It says, In the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Who says amen to that? He will supply all your needs. But here's the thing. Much like Abram, a test is coming. You are going to be tested. And Abram, he was tested by provision. Everyone say the word provision. God has provided time and time and time again. Guess what? Abram lied to Pharaoh, right? He said, this isn't my wife, this is my sister. And so next thing you know, Pharaoh is giving him all this stuff so that he can marry his sister. And then in the end, Pharaoh's eyes are awakened, what is going on, that this is really Abram's wife, and he allows him to keep all the stuff. Abram has all this wealth already. Keep all the stuff, just get out of here. Me and my household, we don't want curse. So now Abram, all of a sudden, has an even larger provision than he had before. right? And this is a man who goes and he returns to building his altar. But something I noticed today as we look at the very end of this story and ultimately what I wanted to get to, Abram's been blessed by all this stuff. And then Melchizedek comes, and we're not even going to cover Melchizedek today and everything he represents, but Melchizedek comes, and then Abram gives a portion of what he has as an offering. It might be natural for us to think, if you understand giving, that's out of order. Because so many of you might think that in order to be blessed by God, you need to give. Who's thought that before? Don't lie. You thought... I need to give in order to be blessed. And there's areas where we develop that thought, and I want to read that for you. It's in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to this. It says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. That's a great promise, and yet we're seeing something a little backwards with the story of Abram, but this is the onset of God developing a relationship with man. And so you and I, we might be able to conclude that blessing comes from giving, but it's important to not get something twisted here this morning. God blessed Abram because he knew his heart. He knew his heart. And that is significant. When God revealed himself to Abram, he responded. Yet again, God is now revealing himself through Melchizedek. And the key to Abram being blessed each and every step of the way is his response in faith. Who knows our actions demonstrate our faith? We said that earlier. For example, if I just solely focused on the aspect of Abram's giving, you could easily conclude Abram freely gave a tenth because he already had so much. I've heard those thoughts before. 
the thoughts of, you know what, I can be able to do this or say I can be able to provide for so-and-so or do all these things once I have X amount of dollars or once my house is paid off. Come on, who says amen to that? The idea of once I am at a place where I'm settled, once I get that raise, once I get exactly everything in order I need to get in order, then I can give. We might think that's when generosity can start. Now, have you ever said, if I win the lottery, I will do X with it? I hear that all the time in church, and I laugh. The reason I laugh is because there's been specials featured on people who have won the lottery and their lives become an utter disaster. And I hear, well, pastor, that won't happen to me. Okay, sure. And we put these thoughts out there into the ethers with the best of intentions. Meanwhile, I love Jesus' example of generous giving. It's illustrated by the perfect heart of a widow who came into the temple. Listen to this. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts into the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. You see, what I believe is even in faith, your giving is demonstrated. Not in what you can be faithful in through God blessing you, but check this out. But what you can be faithful in with what he has already given you. So many times we do things for God believing that if I do this, then he will do this for me. And there's some kind of reciprocation going on. There's some kind of formula that we believe if we follow out perfectly, that all of a sudden God is going to bless you. And one of the most key things that I have learned in my life is, can you use what God has already given you? Can you? I'm going to tell you about a lesson I had to learn as a pastor. Uh, I shared last week about a challenge that I took over with a church in Waterloo. It was 2012. I go up there. That church, it was, it was divided. They, they, had to, they had to remove the pastor from the pulpit. He started another church in town, even though he said he wouldn't, split the church in half, divided bad things going on. The church had, had not been under any kind of form of discipline, even under the previous pastor. So everything was just a mess. And I get in, and I have to take care of this mess. I'm only 32 years old at the time. And thinking, boy, I've, I've still got a lot to learn myself, yet I've got to navigate all this. And at that same time, well, not too long after, a church starts about six blocks away. And immediately, they had a pastor that was well-connected, and immediately they start growing, and they're busting at the seams, and they're doing all these amazing things. And meanwhile, I'm looking at us like this big dysfunctional family. 
and I'm coveting what they have. And I'm thinking, God, I did this, I've done this, I've done this, and I'm listing all the things that I've done. Why can't I have that? And then I thought, God, if you give me this, then we'll be able to do this. And those are the constant thoughts that were running through my head. And so I was constantly looking to what I didn't have rather than what I did. Are you hearing me, church? See, because if you make life about what you don't have, you'll never have enough. There will never be enough. And I believe that God entrusts you with exactly what you need. You can't follow some kind of formula for a material blessing. And if the material blessing is your focus, you and I aren't serving the same God. In fact, Jesus would refer to that as the God of mammon. Are you hearing me, church? If it becomes about what you can have, if you're focused on material wealth, then God, he wants your focus turned to an eternal blessing, a spiritual blessing, and how he can change you and the things that he can do through you for the kingdom's sake. Here's the ultimate formula. If you want to be blessed by God, you ready for it? We're almost done. Make God first in your life. Make God first. Everything you have belongs to him. Abram entrusted everything that he had to God, and that was demonstrated by everything and everyone who went with him. They dedicated to the Lord. They built the altar. He prioritized relationship above everything else. And so church, lastly, dedicate your life and everything in it. Look at what you have. Look at the surplus of everything God has given you. And then you'll realize provision isn't a concern when you've surrendered everything. We should trust God with everything we have. We should trust him with everything we need. Because church, let me tell you something. God has already given you his best. He has given you his best through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 John 4.10. It says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Church, you want to talk about provision this morning? God has given you everything you need in Jesus Christ. There is nothing left to give. He has paved the way that so you and I can be set free from sin. God has made this plan of redemption that started all the way back with Abraham. We talked about that last week. It started all the way back with Abraham that now you have this plan of redemption that you can just embrace what God has already freely given you in Jesus Christ and you have everything you need. I can live at peace. I can die at peace. I can know that it is not about this earth. It's not about stuff. It's not about what I can possess 
here today. It's about what God has ahead for me in his kingdom. Once we embrace that, each and every step of the way, God provides. He provides a footing. You know, I've often described faith as stepping out into areas where you cannot see what the landing looks like. But stepping out and knowing that he is going to provide that footing. Church, that's true faith. That's trusting and knowing that God is going to take care of you. And so some of you have been hanging on to this thought that I need blessed by God, so I'm going to attend church faithfully. That's going to fix it. Or I'm going to start start giving. That's going to fix it. And I'm telling you, it all comes down to prioritizing. God is number one in my life. There's nothing else that matters. I'm going to choose to follow him. I'm going to choose to obey him. And I'm going to give my life for him. What I want you to do right now is I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes and try and not get too distracted here as we're getting ready for baptisms. Um, If you would say, Pastor, I need to make God the priority. I want true blessing that flows from the throne of God, and that's, that's peace, that's hope, it's forgiveness, it's mercy, it's His grace. Maybe you have had a time and you just say, man, I need that in my life. And that's you. I'd ask, would you stand to your feet if you're seeking those things from God today, if that's you? Praise God. rest of you that still claim that over your life in Jesus' name, I want you to stand with them right now. We're going to lift holy hands up to God without wrath or doubting. We're going to embrace Him for who He is, and God, I ask that, Lord, You'll impact a people that says, Lord, this world and everything in it, it's going to decay. It's going to fade away. God, I choose to embrace You I choose to embrace everything that you have. And I thank you, God, for your provision in your son, Jesus Christ. I claim that over our lives in Jesus' name. Lord, there is nothing else that matters outside of what you have accomplished in your son, Jesus. That, Lord, we, through him, can have a direct relationship with you. God, we thank you for that. We praise you for all that you have accomplished. And God, that we can stand here as free men and women today because of what you have done. Lord, there is no greater blessing than to be called a child of the living God. We thank you, God, for this hope, that promise. And Lord, may every man and woman in here be sealed with that. In Jesus' name, committing our lives to you. Thank you.